Okay, let's welcome Fiona with our hands and our smiling eyes. Yes, wonderful. So good to have you with us. Fiona is one of the people at Rehope Southside who I'm like, in my head, you know, I'd pep talk myself and be like, okay, Laura, be more Fiona, you know? She's, she's awesome, you're awesome. Um, she's a YWAMer of past and present. SBS, did that one where you read the Bible how many times in one year? The whole way? You study the whole Bible in the year. You also read through it, though, at least four times, right? Three or four times. Five goes through each book of the Bible. Incredible. Uh, so we're really excited to have her with us today, teaching us from God's Word. It's going to be awesome. I'm just going to pray for you as you get going. We'll pray for you. If you want to uh, stretch out a hand, feel free to do that and uh, just pray for you and then leave you to it. So yeah, God, thank you for Fiona. Thank you for uh, just her life so far, Lord, and how you've been leading her and showing your love to her and um, just bringing her to this place. Um, God, we ask that today you'd, you'd use her, speak through her Holy Spirit, come and um, set her apart again for this task today. For, for us who are here, God, we pray that you'd speak through her and help her and use her. God, I pray that you'd give her so much joy as she teaches this morning from your word. Uh, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Owen. Oh, amazing. I love when someone hands you a mic and it's already on, because otherwise I spend the first few seconds just fumbling, trying to get it to turn on. Um, well, West End, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here this morning, and um, I'm really excited to talk about the tabernacle. Um, yeah, Brian came up to me like a couple of weeks ago and was like, oh, Fiona, like I heard you like the tabernacle. I was like, oh, well, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't hate it, you know, uh, I, don't, I equally don't know loads about it, um, and he was like, no, I prayed, you're the one to do it, so I was like, okay, <laughs> here we go, so here I am this morning, um, I'm going to be uh, kind of chatting a lot about the tabernacle, uh, we find the tabernacle in the later part of Exodus, um, overall, the tabernacle is like about a quarter of the book of Exodus, so, I mean, it really is quite important. I would say it's more than one sermon, so <laughs> we'll just see what happens this morning. Let's hope it's good. Um, but yeah, so Exodus is kind of this book of two halves. The first part is set in Egypt, and it reads like a story. It's, it's I think it's really fast-paced, like God is moving, he's revealing himself, there's miracles, there's plagues, um, like the nation of Israel is running I think is really fast-paced, and I would probably call the first half of Exodus in particular like a page-turner. I'm like, what is going, I mean, I've read it like so many times, but you're still like, what's happening next? Like, what's going to happen next? Um, and then from chapter 20, the book kind of shifts a little bit, and now they're in, like, they're at Mount Sinai. And, um, like, God is communicating to his people at this time. Like, he's showing them who he is. He's, like, he's speaking to them, he's communicating, and it's, it's often through Moses. And in this kind of second part of, um, of Exodus, he's, he's giving them the law, he's introducing the law to them, and he's also giving them these instructions for the tabernacle. Um, like he's giving them like the design of it, the structure of it, he's telling them how to build it. Um, so the book really does change pace here, it's no longer this story, it's more a book of instruction. And potentially, if you have ever read Exodus, maybe for your read-through, and you've arrived at the law, 
or the, like maybe especially the, the kind of instructions for the tabernacle, what might have happened is, is that your shares slightly dried up a touch. And I say this with a fear of the Lord and a real love for it. Um, but yeah, it's this fast-paced story, the first part, and then it switches to this kind of slower piece of writing that, dare I say it, is a touch harder to engage with. Like just surface level, it's a touch harder to engage with. I think we can say that and I, I think we can all agree with it. Um, I mean, if you're anything like me, you basically spend quite a bit of it just trying to figure out what a cubit measurement is. And um, I'm still not sure, but like how you pronounce the, the wood that's used a lot, I think acacia. I, yeah, okay, I feel like people were like, no, no, that's not how you say it, actually, Fiona. Um, well, that's how I'm going to say it today. Um, but yeah, so basically, that's the bit of Exodus we're spending this morning in. This portion of Exodus that gives us the instructions for the tabernacle, its, its design and its building. And it really is different from that first part of Exodus that we spent so much time in the last like, wee while. But I think it just means we have to kind of come at it slightly differently. We have to read it slightly differently. And I actually think it's, it's good if we kind of almost read it visually. Um, so yeah, we're kind of just going to take a step back today, look at the big picture of the tabernacle. And um, like the way that I read the Bible and often teach is I basically just ask questions. So I had a lot of questions about the tabernacle. Um, kind of preparing for today, I, I got more questions. And basically all I'm going to do is share some questions that I had and what I felt like God was, was saying, was answering. So that's what we're doing this morning. So my first question was, like, what actually is the tabernacle? Like, what is the tabernacle? And, and basically, the tabernacle is this tent. It's a portable tent. Um, there's lots of things in it. They all have little, like, rings on it. Uh, so you can like, kind of slip poles and, like, all the pieces, like the furnishings of the tabernacle, like the tent itself, the curtains that kind of kept the tabernacle in. Like, it's this portable tent that moved around the wilderness like with Israel, and then it also moved like into the promised land with Israel. And um, I, have, I have a diagram of the tabernacle. It's, it's, it's okay, it's a ta I, I actually have to apologize. I, uh, I have to confess, I have no maps today. I have no maps. I have no drawings that I have done myself. All I have is one diagram and here it is. Um, but we'll just spend a little bit of this morning kind of just looking through the structure of the tabernacle and all the kind of important like parts of it, all the different areas of it. So um, when you walk into the tabernacle, you've got the kind of the entrance, you know, you're at the entrance of the tabernacle immediately as if, if one was to walk into the tabernacle, one would come to the, the bronze altar. And this altar is where Israel would bring their sacrifices and they would bring their offerings to God. So Israel would arrive to the, the entrance of the tabernacle with a burnt offering or a grain offering, a, a peace offering, a sin offering. They would come with their offering and the priests would burn it on this bronze altar. And that was right at the kind of entrance of the tabernacle. It's, um, that's in the, the court of the tabernacle. So as you first walk in, you come to this court of the tabernacle and in there is that, is that altar. Also in this kind of court of the tabernacle, this kind of first place that you would enter into, is this bronze basin. And this basin was just used by, it was used by Aaron and his, his sons and all the generations of kind of priests that they would be able to wash their hands 
wash their, their feet so that they would be ceremonially like, clean before performing any of their duties, like carrying out any of these offerings uh, that they would do in the tabernacle. So that's kind of like the, the big picture of this court of the tabernacle, this first place that you would walk into. And then you, as you move further into the tabernacle, um, as you travel inwards, the next place you would come to is the holy place. And this is separated from the court of the tabernacle with these, these tent, with these curtains, with these curtains. And um, in the holy place, that's where you would find um, these kind of golden utensils. There's a golden table of, for bread of the presence. And there's this golden lampstand as well. And also there's this other altar, a golden altar that was for incense. And um, like the priests and the Levites, they were able to go into the holy place kind of daily. It was a, to daily tend to, to these areas. Like they would set out fresh bread. They would ensure that oil was always burning. They would offer incense as an act of worship to God. And this was kind of the daily routine of the priests. Um, that was kind of the upkeep. That was one of their duties within the tabernacle. And it was the furthest in place where a priest was able to go, like kind of daily. It was the furthest in that they could go within the tabernacle safely. And then if we move past the holy place, there's another curtain. And past that is what we call the most holy place. And this, this is where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. Now, you might have heard of the Ark of Covenant like before. It appears here in Exodus, but we see it all throughout the Old Testament. And it's so, so central to the nation of Israel. This, this Ark was made of acacia wood, and it was overlaid like inside and out with pure gold. It had these like beautifully, uh, intricately designed cherubim, like on either side of it, like kind of facing one another. And on top of the the Ark of the Covenant was what we, like is called the mercy seat, like all gold, all beautifully crafted. And um, like there's this bit in Hebrews that talks about how like, you know, there's like the most holy place is this place that we can't almost describe because like no one really saw it. So that's kind of as much detail as I can go into of kind of the Ark of the Covenant. Um, but that was where God tells his people that he's going to dwell, like his presence is going to be there, he's going to meet with his people there, like he's going to speak to Israel, kind of from this, this Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat, like in between these, these cherubim there. And the most holy place was a place of like real reverence to God, like a real fear of God was there. It was like, you, you know, it was a place of real respect to God. Like once a year, the high priest alone would enter the most holy place and that was, when the day of, that, that was on the Day of Atonement. He would make atonement for the sin of Israel. And apart from that, no one was to enter the place, the most holy place. Um, apart from that, it was one time a year, it was the high priest, it was to make atonement for the sin of Israel, and that was it. So kind of as you go in to the tabernacle, like, you, you know, like less and less people can travel there. And the presence of God is kind of dwelling in that most holy place. And, and as you go out, there are, are all of these areas uh, within the tabernacle that work together to, to worship, to give offerings to God. And ultimately, all of the areas of the tabernacle are working together in, in service to God. And the tabernacle and the laws that God is, is giving to Israel right now are kind of giving Israel guidelines and guidance in how to worship him. 
I think it's just kind of important to remember that before this, Israel had lived in Egypt. Like that was the culture that they were in. And like God is creating a new nation here. And the worship that he requires like is so, so different than, than probably what they had experienced before and what, what they knew. And actually the worship of the tabernacle is probably different than we think um, of worship today. Like the worship in a tabernacle looked like sacrifices. It looked like offerings. It was, it was constant and it was consistent. And, and it looked like a real fear of the Lord and this like reverence towards him. And the tabernacle, it traveled through Israel. Like it traveled like with them. It traveled through the wilderness. And um, it was like the center of their camp. Like when Israel would make camp and they would travel, the tabernacle would physically be in the center. And then all the tribes of Israel would, would you know, would camp around it. And, um, you know, like I said, like in Exodus, um, like, you know, they, Israel start off as slaves. And then God is creating a nation. Like in the wilderness, he's taking this time to create a nation where he is at the center. Like that's their identity. They were slaves. Like that was their identity. But he's now creating this nation whose identity is rooted in him. Therefore, the tabernacle is at the center of them. It's, this, it's, it's, cre it's helping create this new identity for them. And then like once they were in the promised land, like after the wilderness wandering and, and they're in the promised land, like the, the tabernacle is still kind of the center of the community. The, the bronze altar that I mentioned, like that is still the only place where they can, like they can give um, offerings to God. It's the only place that this allowed, you know, and eventually the, the temple replaces the tabernacle. Like in Solomon's day, you know, the temple is um, created and, and it replaces the tabernacle, but ultimately the purpose remained the same. It was to worship God. It was to serve God in response to what he had done for them. So that's the design, and that's kind of the structure of the tabernacle. But my next question after that is, well, why does God actually want them to build the tabernacle? Like, why is it, why is it necessary? And for this, I think we can turn to Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9. And God is giving instruction to, to Israel. Like, just before this, he's actually kind of instructing them that he'll make this kind of collection, um, this offering for, like, the materials to build the tabernacle. And he says, they are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle, as well as the pattern of all its furnishings. So God wants them to build a sanctuary, build this tabernacle so that he can dwell in their midst. Like that is the purpose of the tabernacle. That's what this verse is telling us. Like God wanted the tabernacle built so that he could dwell with his people in the center of his people. And just to clarify, like before this, God was not absent. It's not as if this is the first time his presence has been revealed to Israel, like after the garden or of Eden or, or something like that. Like, you know, God has, is not distant. He's not absent. Like his presence has been there, but it maybe wasn't like the center of the community. And I mean, he, he manifests himself through miracles and he speaks, like he's speaking all the time in Genesis and Exodus. And a lot of the time he's actually speaking to individuals. It's really personal. But this is the kind of first time that he's, he's telling them, like, build me this sanctuary that I may dwell in the midst of you, be the center and, and always among you. Like God wants to be with his people. He's not absent. He's not distant. Like his, his chosen position 
is always amongst his children, amongst his people. And the tabernacle and all the protocol, like protocols and all the rituals and all the cleansing and, and, and everything like that, it made it possible for Israel to dwell with God. Like ultimately, like I'm saying, like, you know, this tabernacle allowed the presence of God to be with his people. Like they were still slightly separated though. You know, God's presence is not something that we could take lightly. Like between the entrance of the tabernacle and the art of the covenant, like there's these layers, there's these curtains, there's this kind of like division between them. And it kept Israel from, from fully experiencing the presence of God. But God wants to be in the midst of his people. But ultimately his, his holiness is overwhelming. Like his presence, like it's actually kind of dangerous. And I think this is really demonstrated in the bronze basin. So in this court of the tabernacle, um, the, you know, the, the priests, the Levites, they, they had to, um, to wash themselves, be ceremonially clean before they carried out their duties. But Exodus actually tells us that that was needed so that they did not die when carrying out their duties. So there is a cost of being that close to the presence of God. Like in the tabernacle, in, in, like in Exodus, in the Old Testament, there's a cost to being that close to the presence of God. And all of these protocols and all of these rituals and all of these layers kept Israel safe and able to dwell with him. And from those verses, I just think a li like another little important thing to note is that God wants Israel to make the tabernacle exactly as he tells them and as he shows them. And this must be important <laughs> because Moses in Exodus takes like six chapters to say, okay, here's the instructions of how to build like the Ark of the Covenant. Here's the instructions to build the bronze basin. Like here's the, you know, and it's just like all of these instructions are about six chapters worth of information. And then in Exodus, there's a kind of slight interruption in, in this and there's the golden calf incident, which I can only assume Brian's going to speak on. I don't even know, presumably. You'd think so, but I don't know. Um, but, you know, there's these six chapters. It starts about chapter 25 and there's these six chapters that gives like loads of information, like detailed information about the design and the cubits and, and all, of, all of that. Um, and then, you know, there's the golden calf incident. And then they come back to, like Moses comes back to the, 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 the kind of instructions for the tabernacle. And basically, he repeats everything that was said, but instead of saying, well, this is what you should do, he says, this is what Israel did do. So it must be so, so important that Israel carried out exactly the design, exactly the instructions that God was giving them. And I do think it's important for a couple of reasons. Like, kind of like I said earlier on, if Israel had chosen the design themselves, like if it had been from their minds and their hearts, it would have probably resembled something of like temple worship, of like idol worship of Egypt. And like that's not good enough. Like God is holy and he's separate. Um, and like we almost can't like worship God on our own. Like we have to be guided by him because he is so holy and he is so good. Like we can't do it justice if we do it on our own. And um, I think something else is that the tabernacle design is not an accident. And the earthly tabernacle, like the Israel made in the wilderness, mirrors a far better tabernacle. Hebrews 9, I love Hebrews, and I love Hebrews 9. And it speaks of the tabernacle and like the one that Israel built, you know, it talks about the holy place and the most holy place. It talks about the daily routines of the priests 
like serving in the tabernacle would do. And in verse 23 and 24 of chapter 9 of Hebrews, the author states that the tabernacle and everything in it is this like copy of the things of heaven. The, the holy place of the tabernacle is a copy of heaven. So God gives Israel like a blueprint to build a place of worship and a place of service that mirrors the holy, like heavenly place itself. Like God is bringing heaven down to earth through the tabernacle. Like in the actual like dirty, dusty wilderness among a people that are complainers and question God's character and his intentions all the time, God is bringing heaven to earth so that he can dwell in the midst of his people. So my next question I had, I kind of put these kind of two together and I was like, right, okay, God, like why, why did you want your presence specifically to dwell in the tabernacle? Like why, why did it need to be there specifically with all its furnishings and with all its routines and, you know, it's, it's a place of worship, it's a place of service that ultimately is mirroring heaven. Like why, why here? Why was it necessary? And like I started thinking about the tabernacle almost like if things were missing, like what would the effect be, you know? And, um, and if we think of the tabernacle, like its purpose only of being God's dwelling place on earth, like God's presence being in there, um, then we wouldn't really need like the, the holy place. Like we would only really need the most holy place in the Ark of the Covenant. Like the holy place and like the kind of altar to offer him incense and worship. Like we wouldn't need the bronze altar so Israel could come and bring their offerings to him. Like so the tabernacle is not just about the presence of God. It's about Israel's response to the presence of God. And Israel's response, Israel's response is one of worship and it's one of service. And in the tabernacle, you can't separate those two. Like worship and service are one and the same. And Exodus actually tells us way before this that God wanted his people to dwell in the wilderness and serve him. And um, like, you know that song that's from that film and it's like, let my people go. I'm not going to sing it, but like, it just says like, let my people go or something. I don't know. I probably butchered that. But in Exodus, which is a far better source to understand the character of God, he, um, he says like, let my people go so that they may hold a feast for me in the wilderness. And it goes on to say like in chapter seven, like, let my people go that they may serve me. Again, in chapter 8, like, let my people go that they may serve me. Chapter 9, again, let my people go that they may serve me. The, you know, Exodus does not say, like, God is in Exodus does not say, let my people go, full stop. He says, let my people go so that they can serve me. So it's actually not a shock that God wants his people to serve him in the wilderness. It's not new information when we come to the tabernacle. So God didn't just free his people so that they could do whatever they wanted. He freed his people so that their identity would no longer be slaves, but sons, children of the Most High God, choosing to serve him as their king. God freed his people from slavery 
for a life of service to him. And the tabernacle facilitates Israel responding to God in that service. And I think this can kind of be hard to hear because I think our like root of a heart as a human is that like we want freedom so that we can do as we please. Like we want freedom so we can do what we want. But, and I think our hearts can kind of be hardened to the idea of this like freedom to serve. But I think it's only the case if we think that our freedom belongs to us or is because of us. Like the Israelites were free in the wilderness because with his mighty hand, God had freed them. Like they did nothing to actually create their own freedom. And much the same, we are free. We are free from sin and we are free from death, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what God has done for us. And if that is a new concept for you today, then I just have great news. Like, like just as God freed Israel from physical slavery, like Jesus came to earth and he sacrificed himself so that we can be free from sin and from death and from condemnation. So Israel was freed so they could serve the one true God. And it makes sense that we have been freed so that we can serve. Like our freedom, our, our lives, even our bodies, like they don't necessarily just belong to us, like they've been given as gifts. And just like the Israelites, now we can choose to respond to our freedom and the presence of God in service and worship to God. And I've kind of been going back and forward for the last um, like few days about what service and about what worship to God should actually look like, like today for us. And it's like, it's certainly not going to look like the tabernacle. Like we're not going to like bring our ram with male ram with no blemish to the entrance of the tabernacle and a priest will burn it on an altar. And, you know, no priest is, you know, ensuring that there's bread on the table and oil and, you know, incense are, are given to God. And the day of atonement sacrifice does not like happen every year now. And it's not that it, like, it's not that it just doesn't happen, it's, just, it's that it doesn't need to happen. Like, we actually no longer require a tabernacle. The, the tabernacle is no longer needed for us to dwell with God. Like, the tabernacle was so that God could dwell with his people, but now to be safely near God's presence, we no longer need the rituals and the routines and the protocols of the tabernacle to be carried out. We don't need the curtains and we don't need the layers of the tabernacle like protecting us from the presence of God. Jesus' sacrifice once and for all means that our sin has been atoned for and we've been set free. We are redeemed and we're righteous and we're clean and it's absolutely outrageous. But now on earth, God has chosen us to be his dwelling place. So God himself, like his spirit, is within us. And I don't know about you, but I find that really overwhelming. Um, like when you think about everything that had to happen in their tabernacle for God's presence to dwell there, like for God to dwell with his people and be with his people, and now God's made a way for him to dwell in us. 
I think the question that we need to ask is, well, how do I respond to that? So the tabernacle facilitated Israel's response to their freedom and God's presence in, in worship, in service, and in gratitude. And we are free. And God now on earth dwells in us. So we should be responding in the same way. So, so true worship and true service, like ultimately even just praising God for who he is, it's not cultivated in us. It's in response to the freedom that he's given us and the spirit that he's placed in us. So just as we love God because he first loved us, we can worship and serve God in response to his presence because he first made us free to do so. So I do have a few challenges for us this, uh, this week. And um, well, the first one is I would love it. I would love it if we could all just stop for a second, for a minute, for maybe longer than that, and just sit in the presence of God. Like he is in us, he dwells in us, just to have a time this week to stop and really like feel that and, and let him move in our hearts and our minds to what that really means for us in our lives. And I, after that, I would love if you asked yourself, like, is there a new way that we can respond to God's presence and the freedom that we have in him. And one other thing, like last night, I just felt like he was, he was saying this, is that he has, with his blood, purchased us free. Like we are free. And if there is something that you're sat here right now, like then you don't feel free from, like you still feel like a slave to, then that's, that's not like the truth that you don't have to live like that. And I would love if today, like actually, yeah, you did receive that freedom. So I think I'll just pray for us now. And um, I'm sure Laura will come up and say all the other things that you can get prayer for. But yeah, Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for your presence. And I thank you that you have made a way for your spirit to dwell in us. And yeah, God, I just pray that this week that you, that you guide us into a time where we can just sit and, and dwell with that thought. That we can let that, that change our hearts and our minds. And that actually it's that presence and it's that freedom that you've given us that that you guide us in how we can respond to that. So yeah, God, I thank you for the freedom you've given us and I thank you that your presence is in us. And Lord, I thank you that you speak to us and in those times of quiet and in those times that we are just still before you, that you reach out, that you, you speak to us and you reveal yourself to us. And ultimately, it's in that revealing of who you are that we are made more like who we are supposed to be. So yeah, Lord, I thank you that that's who you've created us to be. I thank you that that's how you work in our lives. And I just pray that blessing over the church, that they will hear from you today, that they will hear from you this week. And our worship and our service will, will change because of who you are and who we understand you to be. Amen.